This episode of The Front Lounge with Congos is brought to you by the 1929 Winter Tour with Congos. Head to congos.com slash shows to get your tickets and VIP packages now. Hello, and welcome to episode 36 of The Front Lounge with Congos. We are down one Congos this week. Jesse couldn't make this one, so it's just the three of us and Colton. We'll be talking shit about him. And then this is Johnny speaking right now, and I think I might miss the next one so they can talk shit about me. Um, hi, guys. That's how we should always do it. We should ro- rotate members, and then we can talk shit about them while they're gone because we know they're not going li- to Like, we know Jesse's not going to listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely listen to the one when you guys talk shit about me. Um, What's up? What's new? We've been absolutely kind of swamped this week trying to finish a couple new mixes on some new songs, so that's why it's late or we missed it or whenever you're hearing this. Uh, It always gets down to the last three or four days on a song where it's insanity, really, when you look at it objectively, like the amount of back-and-forth discussion we have about something that is almost, you can't hear it at all. Barely, it's so minutia, such minutia, mm-hmm. but it's it's just that we're involved in the process, or the only ones involved in the process until the very end. Like most bands will send their recordings off to be mixed, and they might be involved in that process, but then to be mastered, like they're just sending it off to a mastering house and having it done, and then sent back to them. And maybe they'll have like one comment that they can uh, get one, you know, retry at it. But this is all like, once again. Congos is doing the mixing and mastering, so it's just fucking tedious. Well, you can see all the top, all the top mixing engineers now are moving uh, in the box, and for the for the non-gear people, it just means they're mixing almost entirely within the computer. They're not going to a mixing board or using a lot of up, upward gear. Just for for speed, for speed, because yeah, they get notes back from a band, and they if you're mixing on a mixing board or with outboard gear, you need to recall that whole thing, which mm. means putting back in place sometimes hundreds of settings. Actual physical knobs yeah. and stuff. Well, I can see that being appealing, and it's why it's been so appealing even on the tracking stage for us to just use soft synthesizers in that. But then, obviously, the real synthesizers that we borrowed from our dad made such a huge difference to the sound. And then mm. on the outboard gear for the mastering side, I think it does make that same kind of difference. But it's so finicky because we would do a mix of a track we're working on this last week and wait half an hour, not even touch the gear, not touch anything on the computer, any mix settings or anything, and it would sound, to us, fairly dramatically different just because the heat of the tubes changed or whatever it was. So yeah, usually it, it's the tube gear that that changes quite drastically. Yeah, so it's it's. Uh, I think it's worth it ultimately to get the sound that we like, but it is it can be a little annoying because you, you make a little change. Like, oh, we couldn't hear Dylan's vocal loud enough. Let's turn that back up. But by the time you do that, all of the outboard analog gear might have changed. So now your overall mix isn't as good, but you got Dylan's voice louder that you wanted. So now you're stuck with the compromise. Do we choose the vocal louder or the overall sound being better? Mm-hmm. The, the What's his Bruce Sweden mixed 92 mixes of Beat It? which is you could easily do 92 mixes today. It would take you a lot less time. But back then to do 92 mixes it meant you know 92 passes where they were physically running faders and everything like that. Yeah. 
How do they deal with that in those you got, days? You use Mix 2, basically. Oh, really? Yeah, they, they'd gotten so far away from it, and then they said, just, well, somebody just put on, um, what was that one we kind of liked, Mix 2? And it's like, oh, oh, yeah, we got this right at the beginning of the process, and we've been sitting here for a month. How, this is a question maybe you don't know the answer to. How do, when you do 92 mixes on tape, that's 92 times you have to play the tape. Isn't, don't you start to see degradation of the tape over that many mixes? Yeah, oh, um, using uh, multiple tapes. That's yeah, yeah. That's not that. If you're just playing back a pass, it's not that much degradation. But he used to track um, track the rhythm section to a tape. Lots lots of engineers did this, but he was especially particular about it. He would track the rhythm section to a tape and put that tape off to the side, and it was a master tape that they would then. Uh, bounce down to two tracks and they would track everything to that so that when they were running over and over on tape they weren't degrading the rhythm section where you would lose oh, they were mixing on the fly right there's no automation in, on mixers back then yeah, there was no no automation so they couldn't think. save any automation meaning no. like that was just before automation so they had to have at least usually a couple guys on the board mixing mm-hmm. and making those moves so they did 92 and if they thought they got it just right on 90 or 91 but they missed a section or missed mm. a, a little move, they'll have they'll It'd have to keep on again. doing yeah, you know, do it over again as opposed to being recalling all the yeah. automation settings and just doing that one little move. Yeah. Fleetwood Mac did the same thing on rumors. They did they tracked uh, their rhythm section to a master tape that they then synced I mean, up later, but they had to fly in because the speed had changed, the tape of the, the so nothing was syncing up properly. They could, well, I don't know how I don't know what they were using Simti or whatever whatever they were using to sync up tapes. It wasn't syncing, and so they had to um, manually play in, slow down the the reels on one side of things. So they were manu- manually adjusting the speed like a like a DJ does when he when he syncs up to um, turntables. Oh, I can't even think of the synchronization <laughs> problems that people had. I mean, think about even movies on film and synchronizing audio to that and then you look at the the old animation things they used to do like tom and jerry where you've got these orchestra yeah things perfectly synced up to the animation that's the level of patience it takes to yeah when you see footage of people at a a tape uh film machine editing making the cuts i just instantly get frustrated (laughs) i'll tell you it kills it basically kills the music for us our music for us for the next two years like I don't, I didn't listen to Lunatic for two years. Not that I, we listened to our own music, but I didn't listen to a song. Um, you mean you actively avoided? Yeah, actively avoided listening to any of the music for a couple of years, and then, and if I did, I was just like, "Fuck, I don't want to hear this ever again." Mm-hmm. And then maybe a few years later, you come back to it and listen. This has been a little better, but still, for it's more on Jesse and Danny because. Unfortunately for Jesse, he does most of the mixing and mastering, so he has to listen to everybody's songs, whereas the rest of us, if it's not our song, we kind of step out of the studio and say, fuck this, I'm taking a break from listening to Joey's song for, you know, the hundredth time. Yeah, it definitely kills it. But then it's nice when you do have that moment, whatever it is, six, ten, twelve, fifteen, thirty months later, and you do hear the song afresh again, it's nice if it if you got a good one, you know. Like I listened to Birds do it the other day. It came up on my random shuffle on my iPhone, and uh, it actually, I thought it sounded good. <laughs> I was quite impressed. I was like, "Oh, this sounded good." The mix. I mean, the mix. I'm not talking about the genius accordion solo, of course. <laughs> um, you know, I yeah, was actually surprised. Ones on I think. Going back, and I still have some of our early demos of 
like early early demos <clears throat> curious and fortuna and those all those songs um on my computer which is like 2002 or 2003 and i was surprised not not by the songwriting or like the because that was as cheesy as i expected it to be but the production was actually not bad for what we were dealing with back then and it was all pretty much live track like even rob fix we used to have a a, a bass player um before it was just us four he was on some of those early demos and it oh, sounded really? pretty good yeah well there's a shit ton of really amazing records that were made on adat which is a shitty digital tape format mm-hmm. and, like they sound great didn't you say also that a lot of that daft punk uh defunk or the whatever that album was was that was a, that was a, doll, a they, yeah they mixed it on a little mackie 12 track huh. and it just sounds amazing it's still some of the best sounding dance all right, so um, enough of that. Let's just do a couple announcements, um, a little bit of filling you guys in on what's going on. Uh, the album is officially coming out January 18th. That'll be available on all DSPs, Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff um, on the 18th. But this is a very special deal. We're going to have a download link or a streaming link early on the 2nd of January for ticket holders. Um, I know that a lot of people that don't live in the United- North America are going to be upset that they don't get to stream it, but um, this is what we're doing because we're an independent band and we can do what the fuck we want. So ticket holders, if they have bought their tickets, um, we'll be providing a link soon where you can sign up, uh, send an email of proof of purchase, and you'll get a, a streaming link a couple weeks before it comes out. So that's a big, big deal. Get your tickets if you want to hear the album early and if you want to um, kind of learn some of the songs before we play it live. Um, we've launched no announcement number two. We've launched a teespring.com merch store. Uh, I know a lot of people are kind of asking why it wasn't on the original or on the main merch store. And the simple answer is we want to do a bunch of designs using our, our logo and our designs on a bunch of different items. And for us to do that on our merch store, it's prohibitively expensive. We have to do minimum orders and order, um, like hundreds of t-shirts sometimes and we just can't fork out you know thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to do like small runs of kind of cool designs or unique items so over the course of the next few weeks we're going to be adding a ton of items to our teespring store which is um, teespring.com slash stores slash congos we've got mugs and iphone cases and now we're going to add a little toddler shirts and onesies and you name it, you know, blankets and stuff. We're going to add a bunch of stuff up there. So Yeah, it's just a lot of times we've had people ask us, why don't you do onesies or whatever? And we've always wanted to do these things, but we're not going to order 50 of them because most times you do that. You end up sitting either on stock if you don't sell out of all of them or you have to discount it and that. So this new thing where they take a bigger cut, I think is going to be the new model for the way a lot of people, a lot of bands are doing merch. Because it makes sense if you're, whatever, Beyonce selling, who fucking knows, half a trillion t-shirts a day. Uh, That makes sense to do the bulk. But this lets us try any and all things. So I think what we'll also be doing is for podcast and Patreon people, maybe doing some really small run exclusive merch uh, later on next year. Yeah. Yeah, the nice thing about this is we can, you know, we're going to experiment with a bunch of cool designs and maybe they'll be only available for a few weeks or a few months at a time or available only to um, email subscribers or Patreon users. So um, it'll be fun to see kind of the exclusive and unique merch items that come out of this. So keep an eye on that. And yeah. Uh, Let me ask you this question. Um, 
we had a dance party the other night. We were all dancing around, and Danny put on this track called Feel Right. Uh, it's a Mark Ronson with Mystical. Mm-hmm. It's from that Uptown Funk or Uptown whatever. Yeah, what are, yeah. the album with uh, the Bruno Mars, you know, the, that massive monster hit was on. Mm-hmm. I think this is a way cooler track or it's, you know, dirtier because Mystical just adds that whole thing. But well, I was just listening to it in the studio now. It's amazing production. Is Are they samples, though? I don't like, know. I mean, it's clearly a James Brown some homage or something. Yeah, because I can't because they sound. If it's not whoever is that band currently recording that, sounds like the fucking real deal, hmm. old funk dudes. I wouldn't you know? be surprised if it's samples because Mark Ronson is he's always sampling stuff. Yeah, I mean, either way, it, it, it's yeah. a it's a great record. But it's just interesting to know whether there are still people that can play like those old dudes from the hmm. James Brown band. Yeah, um, mystical also is he's got he's so cool. He's got his phrasing is like nobody else's. The closest phrasing. I think to him is a big boy. He's got a similar thing where he just kind of he breaks he breaks timing <laughs> temporarily and then comes back. You know. I also think Biggie Smalls small like has the got the triple a triple a triple a trip triple a triple a triple a trip. Yeah, this has been the freaking two years of rappers only have one rhythm and it's da 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 da. Yeah, it's very annoying. Uh, the only person I think that's done that well, or interestingly, I kind of like some of the grooves that you hear on a lot of this. What is it called? This mumble rap tra- or I mean, tra- trapish stuff? It's but- called, being called like SoundCloud rap now because like a lot of these guys are breaking huge through SoundCloud. Yeah, but yeah. that could be. I mean, there it's all kind of different on SoundCloud. No, I, I it's just become a category category because um, it's growing organically as opposed to right, the. Yeah. Yeah, someone getting signed or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's like any new thing that comes out. I I like a lot of the kind of ideas in it, and then it's just most people end up sounding like the first one who did it, and they're copying. But then it's also it's never really developed. You know, like there are some drug, elements there. Uh, if you every single lyric mentions Percocet, and yeah. it's like you can't you there's you there's only a certain kind of music you can make on Percocet. Dude, I, I had that very distinct feeling. Often, when you, if you get stoned and you listen to music, you it, unless it's imagination, you can really feel the state of the artist or the musician and what state they were in while they made it. And when we were listening to a bunch of that music, you know, you can hear some music was influenced by uh, weed, or some influenced by coke, or some was influenced by just joy or true sadness, or whatever. That music was truly influenced by Percocet and like really downer um barbiturate type drugs mm-hmm. it's it's crazy how it comes across well because it's it's just certain sounds that like those low reverbery textural kind of things that you kind of just swimming in a murky yeah but aquarium. i don't think it's i don't think it's purely <laughs> associative i don't think it's purely associative in the sounds no no, no right, i think yeah, it's I mean, also their state that you know that they're recording it on Percocet and well, also explain why the in the explosion of psychedelics in the '60s, why you end up with so much really out there music. Like they really took it to a whole new level. I did. I just yeah, think it's not I, mean, I haven't. Good, but- I haven't done all drugs. In fact, I've almost done none drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, but some drugs just seem fucking boring. Like <laughs> the, the you know the risk to reward thing. Like if you're thinking about like ayahuasca or some of the crazier psychedelics that people talk about. 
that interests me as a concept, at least. Like, oh, potentially you take this thing and you are you have these massive breakthroughs of whatever, even if it's just a, a quick fleeting experience. But like, some drugs just seem like really boring for the potential risk that's involved. Yeah, I mean well, the ones the, that the ones that just hijack systems you already have. I guess yeah. you you have a system for psychic psychedelic experience yeah but well, it's like but some of these drugs basically just seem like the high fructose corn syrup of drugs <laughs> right. you know what i mean yeah. like yes it's probably nice and we all like eating you know sweet things that have got high fructose corn syrup but it's not as nice as having a r- amazingly crafted whatever uh cake or ice cream a whatever lot of people who break is. their legs or something like that they go into the hospital and then they they get addicted to high fructose corn syrup. Um, <laughs> to jello. <laughs> that is actually true. Yeah, I think the hospital food like is ridiculous <laughs> when you look at what they're serving people that are that you've trying to get Speaking of you've drugs take and music, though, to enjoy that food. <laughs> have you guys haven't watched Tales from the Tour Bus? No. no. Well, for you and also for the people in the ether out there listening, that's really cool show. Um, Mike Judge made it. There's two seasons. The first season is kind of about Outlaw Country and the second season is about funk and they're both really good and it's the craziest fucking stories you've ever heard about touring um, it makes Bus Call look like you know the Bed Bath and Beyond of touring uh, <laughs> I overheard the, a bit of the one you were watching with uh, George Clinton and yeah that well that spe- speaking of psychedelics those guys were they took LSD every single day they <laughs> they and they were just perpetually like Bootsy Collins and all those guys they were perpetually high that's funny the amount of stories of their fucking base their necks turning into snakes (laughs) 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 there was one story James Brown uh, the James Brown stuff is the best because he's the best I think I think he's in another league um, from all the other guys you know he's he's such a distillation of talent it's like ridiculous Um, but he had his band and he was a hard like he was straight edge, pretty much no drugs. They rehearsed. He was he would fine everybody if they made any mistakes. He was so strict, and he was the band was like striking pretty much because he wasn't paying them. He was notorious for not paying them. So he had secretly sent his manager to go to I think Ohio to get these guys who were a great funk band who did a lot of James Brown covers with Bootsy Collins, who was one of the who was the bass player in it, and he flew them out on his jet. And then he fired his band that night and replaced them. But they had like an hour to go. And he replaced his whole band. And he did this multiple times after this. But Bootsy Collins and those guys, they were really poor and they were really into drugs and really into the psychedelic movement and stuff like that. So they didn't really give a fuck about all of his rules. And they basically just didn't give a shit. And so they were always getting high before the show. And they actually, they were probably the ones who got James Brown into drugs. And, (laughs) and, you know, then he he went off the rails later in life. But... Yeah, there was one story where Bootsy Collins' bass neck turned into a snake and started attacking him, so he threw his bass on the ground and ran off stage and didn't come, <laughs> <laughs> didn't come back. And there was just kind of a regular type of thing with them. Was that kind of... <laughs> Crazy. Uh, <laughs> he went on to play with George Clinton in Parliament and all that. Yeah, you look at the influence of all that music, though, how long-reaching... It's not necessarily itself the most well-known... Uh, f- you know, music. You know, like the, what, there are bigger artists. Yeah, like funk yeah, is. Yeah. It still remained like deep funk. Like that is really a little bit more underground. But then you go listen to '90s hip hop, mm-hmm. and you almost can't find a record that didn't or that didn't sample uh, like George yeah. Clinton or one of those bands. It's crazy, and yeah. not even just sample. I mean, or like, even Rick James. Yeah, really? just sometimes they would just basically take the song. <laughs> hit, 
put a loop on it and then rap over it and it became a brand new hit. Yeah. There was, that was another... You should just watch the series. I won't give away all this stuff because it's so funny and kind of uh, eye-opening, but the one about Rick James was uh, MC Hammer, right? He used... Dum, 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 dum. That was Super Freak. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, for he basically complained for a month or six months or whatever it was. He was saying how fucking annoying it was. This guy just gets to fuck my song up. He just takes it and he turns it into this piece of shit and then he got the first royalty check and he... <laughs> He stopped Dude, complaining for the rest of his I, life. <laughs> I can't even imagine what the royalty checks were for in those days for that, like a hit. Holy shit. Touches. I mean, it's just, yeah, that's, that's, that's what fueled his drug habit for ever. And that's one of those never have to work again for generations. Mm, that's, yeah. like, that's a lottery type song or a uh, little musical element. Yeah. I mean, obviously Mike Judge has got, he's picked the character, these really strong characters to do these series you know episodes about like jerry lee lewis is another insane person yeah imagine if they did a tales from the tour bus from about congress yeah one time one time they got (laughs) they missed bus call by five minutes (laughs) (laughs) they had to tell tony to wait around yeah we are not rock and roll stars anymore i don't think they even exist and almost none of them exist now anyway with new bands, not maybe, like that. No, I mean, not like maybe some stories. of these new, like, like you were saying, these SoundCloud rappers are getting up to some crazy shit. But yeah, like um, the music's so boring though. The thing that made uh, these guys cool is that they were musical geniuses and they were crazy. So yeah. you you you're interested in them. Like I'm not just interested in a crazy person. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's true. Like, I mean, yeah, even you could go out onto Sunset yeah. Boulevard and find and hear some really yeah. crazy stories. Miles Davis, I read the what, Miles you heard Davis. about that guy Stalin? He was wild. You see, it's like you, they need to be talented. You, yeah, they need to be something that you like about them, and then they're these you know crazy characters. I read the Miles Davis autobiography, and that is, it's you know they're not going to do a tale, tourist from the tail bus with him, but I'm sure this is similar stories. His autobiography is fucking nuts. Like, yeah, I got to read that. The I've, shit he went through, and the. He, I mean, he basically just did everything. He experienced all of life. <laughs> yeah. You know, did all the ups and downs. And uh, he's one of those guys. Who, what was the story recently about the guy who wrote the book about he had a crazy life, a crazy autobiography, and even Oprah had him on. And then it came out that he just made up the whole story. Do you remember? Oh, A Million Little Pieces? Wasn't that, that a few was years that ago? It? Yeah. Was it yeah. A million, what was that book about i can't remember because i was just thinking like what's stopping people from just writing autobiographies that then just make up a whole bunch of shit because that guy did it he made a shitload of money oprah had him on and then it yeah. turned out it was false and he didn't really ha- have an excuse for it. he's like yeah <laughs> i made it up but he yeah. still made millions of dollars <laughs> this month on oprah makes somebody apologize um <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny if to if it worked as a story, if it was inspirational, yeah, like people, matter? Yeah. well, yeah, obviously, it, like he, it's he shouldn't have done that. But at the same time, it, the I don't m- care power yeah, of yeah. myth. It doesn't matter. Like you know, half well, the, yeah. most of the stories that inspire human beings, there's no proof that they're real, right? You know, <laughs> so it's. It's like, it's like she should have a priest on next time and say, now is it true that the Bible is not entirely true? <laughs> It'd be like complaining, you know, you see these, uh, I see it on Facebook occasionally, these like workout people and they're showing their, you know, luxury life and what they do and like their day mm-hmm. and they wake up and they eat a great breakfast in a mansion. Be like complaining, like that guy doesn't actually live like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I picture them living like spending an hour getting a perfect shot of something stupid, like a, you well, know, if it's a pose. A, yeah. And it just, we, to get an actual good photo, and they put up good photos, 
usually takes a couple takes, you know, that you get better at it, you're posing and all that, but it's like such a fucking long job just to get these silly little photos. It's really ridiculous. There's a, um, what's it called? A subreddit I came across of Instagram versus reality where they, it's basically just pictures of guys and girls that are photoshopping themselves badly, you know, like to make either their boobs look bigger or their <laughs> biceps look bigger. And they're so bad at Photoshop that you just see like the curvature of this. It, mm-hmm. just, they could mingle this somehow with flat earth conspiracy because you just see like the earth bending and then the guy's bicep just gets huge. You're like, wow, how I like do you to, do that? I like that when I see stupid photos like that, I like to picture the t- 15 or 20 seconds before the photo was taken and then the 10 or 15 seconds after it was taken, or if it's taken by someone else, like I like to picture it in a third-person point of view because <laughs> you always see these photos where there's no way it was just spontaneous, but it's made to look spontaneous. So you got to pick, you got to imagine what those 10 seconds before and having to set it up and the instructions to the photographer right. or the photographer giving the instructions to the people. You know, and they're, just, they're not like... But haven't have you guys ever had one of these people ask you to take a photo? You're on a hike or on the street somewhere, a tourist or or regular person, say, "Hey, can you? Would you mind taking a photo?" And you say, "Sure," and you take it, and then they have comments. It's never happened no. to me, but we were with somebody, and they took the photo of of this girl, and she like made them take more. Oh, she Jesus. wasn't happy with it. And it's like fucking hell. Not just because it was blurry on a hike. Yeah, something like I can't remember where it was exactly, but like not just because it was blurry, you know, like oh, right. can you take it again? Like, I want let me get my angle right. And I was driving the other day near Melrose uh, Boulevard or Melrose Avenue, and I could see it's happening to somebody else. There was clearly a guy asking a stranger to take a picture of him, and then he was in the most ridiculous pose in front of a stranger. Like this person's, <laughs> like the level of yeah. lack of There's shame, no shame is, anymore, is yeah. unbelievable. It's like, oh, can you get your friend to hold this reflector here? Hold on, let me just... <laughs> you bring out lights? Yeah. Let's talk about a good photographer, though. A good photographer? Werner Herzog. Oh, yeah, Werner. Because he was trending on Twitter. Now, I guess, I just looked at my phone. He's on there because he's going to be in the new Star Wars or something. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, he, acting, he does some, he's gonna be yeah, acting, he does yeah. some acting every now and then. Yeah, he's a yeah. really well-known uh, documentary filmmaker. He made Into the Inferno... Um, what was the other one? Happy uh, people. Yeah, happy people. You should make a comedy with him where he's a doctor and it just focuses on his bedside manner. <laughs> they he should. Acts. That's that, that guy on Twitter is Werner Twertzog. He just tries to embody whatever Werner Herzog would say. He doesn't. He he's lost the plot though. He's he's a really interesting person. Werner yeah. Herzog. You know, he's he really is one of a kind. There's no one like him, and he's just got such a style that is simultaneously the most depressing thing you'll ever see, some of his documentaries, just the way he portrays things, and then also hysterical. He's got, you know, it's a weird, he's German, right, or Austrian? He's got one of those German senses of humor that's very weird, but actually really funny. My favorite documentary of his is that Happy People one uh, about these people that live in the... um, I don't even remember the name. Or it's like Tiger, it's Tiger in, Forest yeah. up in like extremely f- remote Siberia, mm. and it's about where they derive their happiness and where. And it really makes you think about what is required for you to be happy. You know, there's a scene. Uh, I'm not, it's not like a I'm giving anything away, but there's a scene of one of these guys who's a fur trapper who spends you know nine months a year out in the ice, and he has a cup of tea, and he's the happiest person I've ever seen in my life because he had a, he had his cup of tea. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. He didn't actually 
shoot that. He uh, somebody else shot that. Oh, and they had something like nine hundred hours of footage, <laughs> and they didn't know how to make it into a into something, and so he came in and um, produced and narrated. You know. Oh, I didn't know that. That it makes him even cooler because I can imagine someone just being left with basically boring footage of guys riding around on snowmobiles in the snow, and somehow he, he turned it thread, into this yeah. fascinating story of of people. Yeah. You know, that's his whole kind of. Uh, his whole motto or whatever is that the there's an that truth is a a bad not a bad word but like a sometimes you have to lie to tell the truth right kind of idea that there's an underlying truth that you're getting at with a documentary and it's not important that you literally portray what happens because it's impossible anyway you're, well, so you you're being s- selective from the from the beginning you said a similar thing i think about that photographer uh, steve mccurry right the national geographic uh, photographer yeah, well, that he, he will ask, his, yeah, yeah, get people to pose, and you know, so it's not just like this candid moment of a monk or whatever, right? But it's never, you know, it is what it is, like, yeah, you, yeah, I think it's a captures a bigger picture. But yeah, you guys should watch those listeners. You should watch Happy People. It's pretty crazy. This when you think of isolated, cold conditions, you cannot imagine just how isolated and cold <laughs> these conditions mm. are. They spend basically 11 months in the most wintry conditions you can imagine, and then one month a year is basically summer. Where there's mosquitoes that yeah, it's just eat crazy you alive. Mosquitoes. <laughs> well, we'll find out. And they have to say, they have to, store, they have to fish and, um, and hunt and have enough food to last them like nine months of the year. Mm. Um, we should actually all watch that on the first day on the bus on what this was, tour. <laughs> what was the, one of the interesting facts from the beginning is that the, how they measure happiness. <clears throat> Um, in cultures because you in a lot of cultures you can't ask questions because they're going to be skewed based on language and misinterpretation so they basically just observe um, people and see how much they smile within a, an hour or within a, a period of time yeah. and smile in in conversation or how much but you need to be able to determine i mean human beings are yeah capable you couldn't go to like tj fridays and and <laughs> observe the waitresses going hey is everything great or go to like Whoa. texas or dallas or something where everyone's just smiling yeah. wanting to kill you on the inside <laughs> it's a toss-up hooters waitresses or tji fridays waitresses <laughs> who is happier <laughs> dentists in sweden <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they always do those studies of of happiness around the world or contentedness. Are you saying happiness or happiness? <laughs> <laughs> of con- contentedness around the world. And Scandinavian countries always seem to score well there. Highest antidepressant use. Well, not only that, I just don't buy it. Yeah, I don't buy it either. I, you know, whatever. It's not, fuck your science. <laughs> it's, I've, yeah, been, I've been there. It, happy, they're, they are maybe, they're more in the 75% range than in America. I think mm. there's a lot more people here that are, lower than 50 let's call it in the scale of sad to happy yeah but i didn't see too many 85s or 90s there they're you know that page i fucking love science they're content they're not happy yeah that's well, what i would say well, they're, like, they've got, they fucking lie on surveys that's what they do <laughs> <laughs> they've uh, got great medical care they've got great social care all this stuff they don't have to necessarily or most people don't have to worry about like the absolute necessities of life but if you watch any of the films that come out of uh, they can't complain. countries... There's a difference between I can't complain and I'm happy. Yeah. yeah. If right. you watch a lot of the films that come out of Scandinavian countries, they're, it's like very stark, always about breaking out of boredom and breaking out of um, like the banal life. Well, that's... I mean, 
we've traveled a fair amount around the world and there are certain places you go to and happiness is definitely not necessarily uh, related directly to a lot of the markers that you would think it was because you go to South Africa and it's not to diminish the the difficulty that a lot of people in poor situations have, but there's still an underlying happiness that's unparalleled in, in certain parts of South Africa or even Brazil and uh, South America that we've seen that is, you can't just relate it to like, oh, wealth or any, um, any material measurement, you know? Other than the Dutch. Those I guys just, are I just remember, yeah. Always, oh, yeah, they're Dutch rich always, and happy. <laughs> always happy. <laughs> Freaky deaky Dutch. Uh, yeah, there's, you know that page? We should start the opposite of I fucking love science called Fuck Your Science. <laughs> where it's just... Uh, I think they have that. It's the Republican Party. <laughs> no, no, not, not real. Don't fuck real science. Just like studies that sound like nonsense that were clearly funded by somebody. Like mm. <laughs> that. You just, just make fun of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't have to get into this, but did you see that this was... I just found this really funny. Um, that the what was it the Trump the Trump administration had a climate change study come out mm-hmm. under you know under their administration and <laughs> Trump just said no I don't believe it <laughs> <laughs> oh you got to admire someone that is that willing to just stand in the face of every he's like looking in an ocean and saying ah, it's not gonna fucking hit me <laughs> um, oh here uh, annoying hashtags we wrote down. You know what really I grinds my gears? <laughs> what are you <laughs> saying? Just, you know, it's, you see all these hashtags that start trending on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it feels like it's so obviously the equivalent of the Hallmark greeting card industry that, you know, invented holidays or invented this day or that day. Because every day it's, you know, like, uh, I love donuts in five words. Or, you know, fa- make a movie of this. And it always leads back. You follow it back and it leads somewhere to some company yeah. pushing something. And I can't remember what show. Maybe it was Homeland, one of those shows. It's a fucking internet, Krispy Kreme. Yeah. <laughs> but they did a really interesting portrayal of forensic social media where obviously if you're running the servers or the ISPs or if you're Twitter yourself, you'd be able to, through analytics, kind of trace the spreading of a virus of an idea or of right. a, a trend or something. And that's really interesting to look at how that shit moves, it's p- particularly the way they did. Obviously, it was a TV show that kind of dramatized it a bit where, you know, you have movement and just see this kind of spring from like, oh, it started in Iceland, an idea, and then bounces here, bounces there. And it's just funny to be able to analyze human thought now on such a second-by-second basis, and it's all being it's kind of watched. It's, I mean, it's the meme idea. People forget that that's a Richard Dawkins idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. That it's been so now now meme just means a dumb picture. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, what are some of the most annoying? Let's do our own most annoying hashtags in four words. <laughs> <laughs> that's the four, it. The four most annoying hashtags you can think of, and it has to be one word. I can think hashtag blessed is definitely that's, yeah. That's, that's top top I think that one for me. Worn out its welcome though. Even people who are hashtag blessed have stopped hashtagging blessed. There's uh, it's. There's some kind of uh, AI test that needs to be able to distinguish between sarcasm, though, in hashtag. Hashtag live, love, laugh. <laughs> live, love, laugh. That wasn't, that's three words, but still, that can go in the top four. No, but I'm, talk, I'm not even talking about those ones. Those are kind of the obvious. I'm talking about ones, I, I don't know what oh, I saw today. I saw, where yeah, it's, it was no phone for a year. Yeah, and hashtag, it's sponsored by uh, 
fucking vitamin water. Yeah, exactly. Everything is an ad. Everything is just you're just they're just what selling is no you phone something for a year. They're doing some competition, I guess. I don't know. They're going to pay someone pay people a hundred thousand dollars. I don't know. I didn't really read it. If you go for a year without a phone, yeah. Huh. So you see this hashtag and people's. It you know it sparks up a conversation about whatever that's trying to spark up a they conversation. Should get Donald about. Trump to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, next and last on our miscellaneous list of topics to talk about is this is another thing that really hashtag grinds my gears. <laughs> uh, recipes with long intros. In the rare occasions where I go look at recipes, because I'm such a masterful, such a masterful chef that I don't need them, but you just want to go get an idea and find out quickly how to make a particular thing, yes. and then you have to sit through some fucking idiot's life story about how this one time when I was traveling through Wisconsin with my grandma, we saw this cookie, and that cookie did this, and then you just get to the end, it's like flour, eggs, sugar, heat in pan, yeah. done, and it pumpkins. For me, it always brings back memories of being seven years old in fucking wherever, and I was going through this, goddamn, get to the recipe. Just let me know how to make a pumpkin pie. <laughs> we're going to do, we're gonna do a, a recipe blog book, video oh, yeah. log at some point one day. I've started making notes of, of the various, the nothing revolutionary, I think, that we've invented, but just basically our versions of We should of do a them. recipe book with zero measurements, where it's just, everything's just a smidge or a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Put a lot of this and a little bit of that. and You'll uh, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my, I think we talked about this, but my favorite is Greek recipes, where they're measuring out olive oil. <laughs> like any Greek <laughs> has ever measured olive oil, other than like hold your hand for you know five or six minutes to the left while it pours out. It's uh, a lot of extra work. That's uh, following recipes. You got to get a whole bunch of containers. You got to make it, you know, align them up, and so that you can just take the container and dump it into the pan. Yeah. It's the, one of the visceral. I mean, we've always known that, but one of the more uh, uh, extreme versions of that that I've seen was when we, when Manuel, uh, some good friends of ours in South Africa, made us a pasta. We just came over and we had missed the meal, so she said, "Oh, let me just make you a quick pasta." She's an Italian mom, and she she started boiling the water and she started pouring salt into the water. And it felt like she talked to us for eight minutes <laughs> while she was pouring salt into the water. And I just kept watching the salt go in the water. And I thought like, I thought she had forgotten that she was pouring salt, but she didn't. She was just, well, it was just, and it was the be- the actual pasta was the best tasting pasta ever. Yeah. Cause you think about, you try to get flavor into a pasta after it's cooked. You can't, you yeah. have to either, you either have to fry pan it in, like, you know, fry it in and saute it in. Or it's got to be there in the boiling process. And that reminds me because do you guys remember where we were in Greece and we were camping on the beach and we took our little camping pots, filled it with seawater and boiled pasta in the seawater. And that was some of the best pasta. I was just going to say, then there was a show where they were on a boat. It was a cooking show. I think it might have been Anthony Bourdain. And they um, were making clam pasta. And they just, they caught the clams like that day. They filled the pot up with seawater and cooked the pasta on that. And after seeing that, I'd never wanted pasta more in my life <laughs> <laughs> the best thing for wanting food is uh the trip to italy with steve coogan and rob whatever his name is um yeah. it's really really funny mockumentary it's kind of like spinal uh, slightly spinal tappy uh and they just travel around but they also shoot eating. it very shoot well food, like a foodie yeah. type uh blog show sort i've of never thing. wanted to go to the coastal parts of italy more yeah it's amazing all right, so this is a short one. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. Let me just say a couple things. Um, get your tickets to the tour. If you are waiting to get your VIP tickets, don't wait anymore. Chicago, 
um, acoustic performances sold out. A few other ones are getting really close, um, and those are the more those are the important ones because they're limited in numbers. So if you are waiting to get those, don't. Um, for our Patreon users, uh, for those of you guys who heard the ad on this podcast, if you don't want to hear that for a mere two dollars a month, go to Patreon.com/slash/Congos, and you can get ad-free podcasts as well as exclusive content and access access to some things that other people don't get, including what we're going to do right now. So we were test printing some of these posters that we're going to be selling for the top tier VIP on tour. And uh, we fucked up on one of them. Joey, Joey spelt the venue wrong on one of them. And we used I think it's of, the wrong date or yeah, missing a anyway, date. It was a test, a test run of one of these posters. But we have it here and we kind of want to get rid of it. Um, so we're going to post it on the Patreon page. And if you're a subscriber, you'll see it. The first person to comment 1929 will get it for free uh signed by the band and with a nice funny note on it yeah it's it's a really shitty piece of paper poster but it's one of a kind yeah there's only one of the first test print of that so check that out that's congress.com slash no that's patreon.com slash congos and we'll see you next week for perhaps a podcast without me here we didn't talk about jesse once well, we did at the beginning. We said he wasn't here. No, I'm saying we didn't talk shit about him once. Oh, yeah. No, don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you guys.